You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. We're actually finishing a series today called Milestones. And this goes along with our 75th anniversary because the Roman Empire, when they would build their road system throughout their empire, they would put mile markers. And those mile markers were made of stone. And these milestones, it's where we get the word, uh, they were intended to be placed every mile to help the travelers understand how far they had come and understand how far it is to their destination. And it's important for us to be able to look back and see how far we have come, how far has God brought us, but then to understand, hey, there's still a future for us. God's got more. And during this series, we've been kind of paralleling our journey with the first century church in the book of Acts. So we've looked at Acts chapter one, two, three, and four over the last few weeks. And so I would really encourage you, if you've missed it, to go back and listen. And I know it's good. And let me just take a side note. It's so good to have our IUP students back. We miss our IUP students when you're not here. And it's good to have you. And it's throwing me off because some of you are here and over here and over here and sitting wherever, but I'm so glad you guys are here. It's great to see you. And this morning when I was on my way to church, I pulled out and I was driving up 7th Street. And um, if I didn't know that students were back, I would have because of all the red Solo cups all up and down the street. I'm like, oh, students are back. I can tell. It's the fruit of IUP students. So... um, Anyway, but I am so glad to have you guys back. So especially IUP students, uh, the last two weeks, we've been looking at the, the, who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in our lives. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to those to get caught up on that. Now, there are a couple of resources that I've mentioned every week. I wanna mention to you again, uh, four different books that I would encourage you to, to check out if you are interested in going a little deeper in this topic. One is by Robert Morris called The God I Never Knew. Another is by John Bevere called The Holy Spirit. Another is by Francis Chan called The Forgotten God. And then finally, there's a book by Sam Storms called Practicing the Power. And all four of these books are excellent resources and going a little deeper in the topic of the Holy Spirit. And we also did a series back in November of 2021 called Minimized. And you can find that on our sermon archive on our website if you want to watch the video, or you can find uh, the podcast anywhere you download podcasts. You can go back to November 21 and you can find that series. And we went deeper on the topic of the Holy Spirit. And really, over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about who the Holy Spirit is, what does he do, what was the experience of the first century church with the Holy Spirit, how did it change the church fundamentally, how did it change the believers fundamentally, and last week we talked about some of the fruit of that, what does that look like practically in our lives, and this week I want to talk about another idea that is practical in our lives, that's produced from the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna start in Acts chapter one, verse 14. And these are verses, the next three verses are verses we've read over the last couple of weeks. But Acts chapter one, verse 14, this is, uh, this is prior to the, the gift of the Holy Spirit from Jesus to the church. It says, Acts chapter one, verse 14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women and the brothers of Jesus. They all met together and they were constantly in prayer or they were constantly united in prayer. So they met together, and this word together is a really important word we'll talk about in a moment, but it's homothumadon. And this is a word we see several times. We see it 10 times in the book of Acts. So Luke wrote the book of Acts, and we only see it one other time in the New Testament. It's in the book of Romans, but it's used 10 times in the book of Acts. And this word uh, is really important. And again, we'll come to it in just a moment. Acts chapter two, verse one says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. It's the same word, homothumadon in the Greek. Acts chapter four, verse 24. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. It's homothumadon, same word again. So what does this word mean? Homothumadon is a compound word in the Greek and it means to rush along together. So there is a, there's an African proverb and this African proverb, allegedly, this African proverb says, if you wanna go fast, go alone. If you wanna go far, you go together. And that's great. I like the idea. It's mean, you got to build, pe- you got to get people on your team and they go to, in order to go far. I get it. It's great. But homothumadon is a little different because homothumadon says, no, 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 you go fast together. You move along, you rush along. And the idea is that you have a common point in space that you're pursuing together and that you move quickly toward that. 
There's this idea of homothumadon. I love this word. Uh, homothumadon means same spirit or same fire, same passion. So think about it this way. Uh, the, the first century church was very diverse, lots of different people, lots of different backgrounds. Uh, even though the disciples of Jesus were all Jewish, they were very different in their values and uh, their practices and how they lived things out. You had a man who was literally a zealot and his idea was to overthrow the Roman empire by force. He hated the Romans. He wanted to, he wanted uh, an all out war against the Romans. Then you had people like Matthew, who's a tax collector, who was Jewish, but he was working for the Romans. They were diametrically opposed. And then you had people all in all places in between. And all these men come together with the same spirit and the same passion and God works through them miraculously. And so I, I can't help but think, I talked about this illustration a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I can't help but think about the Pittsburgh Steelers, okay? And which makes sense. Steelers are very scriptural, they're biblical. And if you don't like the Steelers, we'll pray for you. So, uh, <laughs> so here's the thing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, our campus pastor in Blairsville, Pastor Colin, had the opportunity to take his three sons to go see a Steelers game. And it was awesome for them. They got to experience it, see it, do all the things. And we were talking about it afterwards. And I've been to a few games. And here's what I love about going to a Steelers game. You, you get to the game and you roll into the parking lot and you have people that are tailgating. And there are nice vehicles and then there are not as nice vehicles. You have people that probably are more affluent from a financial perspective and people that are less affluent. You have black people and white people and everything in between. You have uh, people that are probably very politically divergent, Republicans and Democrats and everything in between. You've got uh, every socioeconomic class represented and all these people are there tailgating and they're eating brats and they're doing their thing and they're probably drinking a little more than they should be drinking. And then they go into the game and they go into the game and they find their seats and they're waiting for their team to come on the field and the Steelers take the field and people cheer. <laughs> and the team marches down the field for a touchdown. The, the stadium erupts, people are excited. The Steelers get a big stop on defense. They're excited. What happens? Well, these people that are very different, that have divergent backgrounds and values and ideologies, they've come together with one singular purpose. And that purpose is to cheer for the good guys. Let's cheer for the Steelers. Let's get on board. And you've got people that have never met before that they are united in this moment with this purpose. And this is what happens with the church. Churches like ours, you've got people that are very, very, very different. All backgrounds, all ideologies, all walks of life, all socioeconomic backgrounds. And none of that matters because when it comes to what we are doing, we say there's one thing that's supremely important. It's the cause of Christ. And we're willing to lay all that down and pursue Christ. And that is what homothumadon is. It's a singular purpose. It's a singular passion that unites people that are very, very different. That brings people that have very disparate backgrounds together for one purpose and one cause, and that's Jesus Christ. And this is what you see in the New Testament, homothumadon. They had the same passion, the same fire. And really what this is about is the revelation of God's glory to the world. God wants to reveal his glory to people who maybe aren't even expecting it. And what we see in the first century church and what we see even today when we're willing is that God accelerates his glory through unity in Jesus Christ. When we are unified in Jesus Christ, God accelerates his glory to the world. He will reveal his glory in ways that he otherwise would not. When we as his church, as his bride are unified. And let me make this very clear. When I talk about unity, I'm not talking about a blind unity where we all just put on our blinders and we just fall into line and we're gonna tell you what to think and you just think what we tell you to think and we'll all just be fine. It's not uniformity. It's nothing like that. But what it is, is it's saying, hey, there's things that are important in my life, but they are not as important as the cause of Christ. So if I've gotta lay some things down for the cause of Christ, I'm willing to do it. That's what the first century church did. They had things they were passionate about, but they went but it's not as important as this. This is what unites us. This is the rallying point. This is 
what we are pursuing in our lives. And that's what real unity is. I actually had someone a few years ago, they were unhappy about some of the things I was talking about or not talking about. And when I met with them to talk about it, and they said, we just think you talk about unity too much. <laughs> really? And I said, have, have you read the Bible? Because to me, it talks quite a bit about unity. I mean, think about all the verses about forgiveness and love. Uh, this is what it's promoting. It's talking about being united. And, and what we have to understand is a move of God is impossible without uni unity in the church. It's impossible. There's one of our, our board members. He's been on our board a long time, Mark Hartman. He, he always says, God, don't bless a mess. And it's true. If we don't steward well what God has given us in whatever area, why would God bless us? If we don't steward unity well, the very thing that he's asked us to do, why would he bless us? Why would he give us more influence, give us more areas of, of influence in our world and our community? He won't because God accelerates his glory through unity in Jesus Christ. So unity is a prerequisite for the move of the spirit. Did you know that? You want God to move in your home? You better get unified in your home. See, the believers, they were all together, homothumadon, in the upper room waiting on Jesus and on the Holy Spirit. They were praying. They were doing what Jesus told them to do. They were waiting. They were unified. And there's something powerful that happens when people come together in unity. It paves the way for the Holy Spirit. Now, I mentioned there was a verse that was not in the book of Acts that uses the word homothumadon. Let me read this one to you. This is Romans chapter 15, verses five and six. Paul's writing to the Roman church and he says, may God who gives this patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other. He's talking to the church as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is it's not fitting for us to be fighting and divided. It is appropriate. It is understood that our normal way of living will be complete harmony. But the way we live in complete harmony is by the patience and encouragement that God gives us. Now, I don't know about you, I've got four people in my home. And I love my girls very, very much, very much. And it is hard to live in complete harmony. Come on now. Can we just be real? I love them. I would lay down my life for them, but I don't wanna turn down or turn up the air conditioner for them. <laughs> like when it, we're riding in the car, I want it as cold as it will be. I want icicles hanging off my nose when I'm riding in the car. And my girl's like, dad, can we please just turn the heat up a little bit? I'm like, no, no, right? I love you and I'll sacrifice, but not that much. <laughs> I've said before, um, there's four of us in our house and we can't agree where to eat dinner most of the time. What are we getting for dinner? I want pizza. I want Thai food. It's like, oh, we can't do both. So we're gonna pick, right? And here's the thing. When we are looking for uh, uniformity, it's not gonna happen. But when we understand that, hey, God has called us to unity in spite of our differences, in spite of our preferences, in spite of what I wanna see happen, when, when God has called us to that, and, and really, let me take this a step further, as mature believers, he expects us to lay down some of our preferences for the good of the cause. He expects us to go, I prefer this, but the cause of Christ is more important than this, so I'm willing to lay down my preference. But it's hard to do. How do we live in complete harmony? We have to have the, the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. He says in verse six, so that, so we live in complete harmony with the, the power of patience and encouragement from God, so that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, unity leads to God being glorified. We see this principle over and over and over in scripture. And this is true in a church this is true in your family. It's true in your workplace. It's true in your, your classes. Again, IUP students, we got a bunch of athletes here. You want to see God move in your team this year? Get unified. I expected some of the athletes to be more excited about that. We got basketball players and baseball players and football players. You wanna see God do something incredible? Get unified, see what God will do. When you say, hey, we're gonna set aside our petty differences and pursue the cause of Christ because that's what happens, God is glorified. And here's the thing, 
uh, we actually see in scripture places where homothumidon is utilized against the cause of Christ. Because unity works, whether it's for Christ or against Christ. And I will tell you this, our world, I'm gonna sound like an alarmist when I say this, our world, the culture in which we live is more antagonistic toward the gospel of Jesus Christ than it ever has been in my lifetime. The world in many ways is united against Christ. And if the world can unite against Christ, how much more should the church of Jesus, the bride of Christ, unite for the cause of Christ? But yet we find ourselves getting frustrated and we go, well, we can't be friends with them. They don't believe women should be in leadership. Well, we can't be friends with them. They don't believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Well, we can't be friends with them. They have, they have pipe organs in worship. These are the things that divide churches. We're gonna be so disappointed when we get to heaven and we find out worship doesn't look like we think it would. Like, what? They have pipe organs or they don't have pipe organs? Or I told somebody recently, when we get to heaven, we're not gonna find out who's right. We're gonna find out who's least wrong. Because we're all a little bit wrong and we'll figure it out someday. But this stuff divides us so much in the world we live. And there's a formula for this homothumidon. There's a formula for unity. Uh, the first is you have to have a common purpose. And this is just a leadership lesson. For those of you that are leaders, those of you on teams, I'm, this is just a mini leadership lesson. Here it is. There's a formula for unity. Here it is. The first is you have to have a common purpose. Now, even as big as our church is, generally speaking, we have a common purpose to glorify God. Our vision is to see every life made different. That's what brings us together. We wanna see lives change for the glory of God, okay? So we have a common purpose. What you need next is um, a setback of some kind. You need, you need opposition of some kind. Um, so think about it this way. Nothing unites people like a common enemy. Some of you are too young to remember. I remember September 12th, 2001. I mean, September 11th, 2001 was marked in my brain. I will never forget where I was and what was going on that day in my life. But I remember September 12th because our church in Jinx, Oklahoma was packed to the brim with people coming to pray that day. And they weren't just people from our church. They were people from all over because we just opened up our church and said, hey, we're having a prayer during the lunch hour if you wanna come. And we opened up the church from 11 to one and it was packed from before 11 to after one, people showed up. It was because they were that spiritual? No, what happened is there was a common crisis that united people together who, who said, hey, now we can prioritize what's really important instead of the stuff that divides us, we have a common enemy. And so let's get on board together toward this common purpose. There was some homothumidon beginning to be built. And this is true in our lives. It's true in your marriage, it's true in your teams, it's true in your workplace, it's true in the church. Nothing will build the church in the, in the world like persecution. Fastest growing churches in the world right now are in China and Iran. You don't think of a strong evangelical presence in either place. It's because the gospel is being opposed. They're being persecuted and the gospel is thriving. Why? Because Homothumidon, people are coming together and they've got a common purpose and they've got a common goal and they have a common enemy and they can say, hey, we're gonna lay down our petty squabbles for the things that really matter. Now, here's the thing. Opposition doesn't automatically build unity. You need this next thing or you will not get the unity. The next thing is sacrifice. So there is opposition, there's an obstacle of some kind and then people rally because they will sacrifice for each other. Again, I, I grew up in Oklahoma City, um, April 19th, 1995, the Murrah Federal Building in downtown Oklahoma City was bombed by Timothy McVeigh. I was, I was a high schooler. I was a senior in high school. I heard the explosion from my homeroom class. Total destruction. The city of Oklahoma City rallied like crazy. And it wasn't just about, hey, we've all experienced this terrible tragedy together, but they also said, hey, we're gonna sacrifice for each other. We're gonna take care of each other. We're gonna cover each other. We're gonna protect each other. And this is what builds homothumadon. So here's the thing. When a tragedy happens to people who are together, but they're not together, because we use that word together. And, and in Acts, it means this, this word homothumadon. They one mind and one spirit rushing along in unison, Right? But, but it doesn't mean that they were in the room together because there's a big difference. I know people that are married, but they're not together. 
They occupy a house together, but they are not one mind, one heart, one spirit. Does that make sense? In April, 1995, the city of Oklahoma City came together. The state of Oklahoma came together and they covered each other, protected each other. Now here's the thing. You can be with people and in crisis, the difference between community and a group of people is a community will look out for each other, protect each other in crisis. A group of people in crisis will scatter. They will look out for themselves. So just because we have a shared crisis does not mean that there's gonna be a shared spirit of unity because if we don't take care of each other and sacrifice for each other, that unity will not be produced. And this is what we see in the first century church. In the book of Acts, these people are taking care of each other. They're sacrificing for each other. They're covering each other. They're looking out for each other. And this is what produces homothumadon, the same spirit, the same passion, the same fire. And this is what, our churches desperately need. This is what your home desperately needs. This is what IUP desperately needs. This is what your work desperately needs. People who are united with one purpose and one cause that are willing to sacrifice for each other and look out for each other. John chapter 17. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about John 14, 15, and 16. I've referenced it. I actually gave you some homework in week one and said, read John 14, 15, and 16. So 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is telling his disciples about the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I've got to go. The Holy Spirit's going to come. Here's why this is really important for you, okay? And those of you here in Indiana, Steph referenced that just a little bit ago. He said, this is why it's important that I go away. You need the Holy Spirit. And this is kind of akin to if you're going on a long trip and you're telling people, hey, if something happens to me, here's what you need to do. Here's, here's how you need to respond if something were to happen to me, okay? Here's where the documents are. Here's what you do. Here's who you call, all that kind of stuff. So Jesus is getting them ready, 14, 15, 16. And then in chapter 17, he pre- prays this incredible prayer. And I would encourage you, read John chapter 17. This is a prayer from Jesus to God that he is praying what's called the high priestly prayer. And it's a prayer for you. He literally prays for you in that prayer. And so I wanna read John chapter 17, verses 22 and 23 to you. Jesus is praying this and he's talking to God. He says this, I have given them, talking about believers, I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. He says, God, the glory that you gave to me, your son, I am giving to them. I've given them your glory. And the reason I've given them your glory is so that they can be one in the same way that you and I are one. This is his last prayer that's recorded in scripture before he is crucified, before he goes to the cross. Now he talked to God on the cross, but this is his last recorded prayer before that moment. And this prayer is full of him interceding for us to be unified. God, make them one in order to do this happen, uh, to make this happen. They are gonna carry your glory. And as they carry your glory, they're gonna see how important it is to be unified. And then he says in verse 23, I'm in them and you're in me. May may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Now, this is incredible. This is reminiscent of something Jesus said, where he said, the world will know you're my followers by your love one for another. He's talking to the church again. And he said, the evidence of your affection for me to the world will be how you love each other. It's not that you don't go to rated R movies or don't drink or don't sleep around. You don't smoke. You don't do all this bad stuff. The world will know you're my follower because you don't do this bad stuff. He said the evidence of our affection for him is that we love each other really well. And then he prays this prayer at the end of his earthly ministry. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So when we live in this homothumadon, this unity with a singular purpose of pursuing God and, and making God known to the world. It is evidence to the world, to unbelievers, that Jesus is real and that God loves them. This is a basic message we tell unbelievers. Did you know there's a God that loves you? Jesus is real. It's not a fairy tale, it's not made up. And what Jesus said is, let their unity be so complete that unbelievers will see that. Unbelievers will go, Jesus must be real by the way they're living. 
man, I know God loves me because of the way these people are living their lives. This helps us actually be the witnesses God wants us to be. God's glory makes oneness possible. It's impossible without that. And what we see is unity produces glory for God and unbelievers. So we need God's glory to be unified, but then as we are unified, it produces more glory for God. And this is what this is all about. It's about revealing God's glory to the world, helping the world see how good our God really is. And so when we look at homothumidon, in a very real sense, homothumidon is an answer to Jesus' prayer that his people would manifest a unique oneness in a world that's dominated by divisiveness and selfishness. Our world is selfish. Every ad you see on television talks about, you can have it your way. Oh, you, you get what you want. We're playing to the selfishness of people. And when we live a life that is so divergent from the normal life of this world where the Holy Spirit is living through us, we're vessels of God's glory, and we can actively say, hey, I'm gonna lay down some of the things I want for the good of the glory of God. It is different to the world. It is radical to the world we live in. And if we really wanna see homothumadon at work, if we wanna see the same fire, the same passion at work, it starts in small ways. It starts in a home through a husband and wife. If you wanna see the power of God work in your, your family, in your home, husband and wife, you better get unified. Get together and figure out, hey, we need a common purpose and we need a common goal that we can pursue. In churches, it happens with leadership, in businesses, it happens when people will just simply say, I'm more interested in what God could do than in what I want. So bad news. That was my introduction. The good news is the rest won't take very long. So in Acts chapter two, uh, both the key passages we're gonna read, we read, led up to these in the last couple of weeks. So in Acts chapter two, uh, this is where uh, Peter and John had been arrested. They were released. The, the believers prayed. And remember last week, if you were here, they prayed this powerful prayer. They said, God, make us bold preachers. Make us bold preachers. They didn't pray for protection from their enemies. They prayed for boldness in the face of opposition. And they prayed this powerful prayer. And then we get to verse 42. In Acts chapter two, verse 42 says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So this was a common occurrence. This is how they lived their lives. They devoted themselves, is what it said. And devoted means they, they committed themselves. They made it a priority. This is something that had value in their lives. So what were these things that they devoted themselves to? The apostles' teaching. So apostles' teaching. So this is where normally somebody would say, you gotta come to church if you're gonna be devoted to the apostles' teaching. And yes, there's some truth to that, but really what it's getting at is um, the primary way they got the word of God in them was through the teaching of the apostles. Here's the thing. You've got, you probably have a mobile device, a phone, and you probably have an app on there that has 10,000 interpretations of scripture on it. 10,000 different versions, NIV, ESV, NLT, all these different translations of scripture, okay? You don't need me to tell you what the word of God says. You can read the word of God. You've got access to it. So the idea isn't that you don't miss church as much as it is, you are devoted, you're focused, you're prioritizing getting the word of God into your life. Now, here's the thing. We have access to the word of God. There are plenty of ways we can get the word of God. The problem is we don't access it. So what happens is we come to church once a week or every other week, or let's be honest, every six weeks or twice a year, and we consume the word of God and we feel good. We're like, great feel fantastic. And then we wonder why we're so broken the rest of the time. It's because we're, we're eating one meal a week or one meal every two weeks. We're getting the word of God in us, but it's happening so sporadically that it's not producing life in us. If you only ate one meal a week, you wouldn't make it very long. You'd be in trouble. 
Your doctor would have concerns for your health. And what's happening is spiritually, we're consuming a meal a week. And then we under, don't understand why we are emaciated, why we don't have any spiritual strength, why we have no authority in our lives. It's because we are not consuming the word the way we need to. We're not devoted to it. So the first key to living in a homothumadon life is get the word of God in you. Devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God. Get it in your life. Know what the word of God says, activate it in your life. The second thing is this, you gotta get in community. I say this all the time, get on a team, get in community. And the reason is we grow in the context of relationships. We need people to push us and stretch us and grow us and challenge us. We need people to help protect us. And this is what community does. Real community protects each other. And this is what they found. It says, they devoted themselves to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. They, they devoted themselves to fellowship. They were focused on it. They prioritized it. I, I told somebody recently, when I was a kid, uh, the church I grew up in, it was common. I knew every, every Sunday morning, my mom would put on a roast or get something ready. And I would say, oh, who's coming over after church? And she'd say, I don't know, we're gonna invite somebody. Or I knew we were going to somebody's house for lunch because that was common in the culture. And it wasn't just our church, it was churches all over the place that did the same thing. It was normal. People shared their lives together and churches don't do that anymore. Churches don't do that. Why? Because we're kind of selfish. Oh, I don't wanna, if I invite somebody over, I gotta clean. I don't wanna clean. Who needs that mess, right? I have to cook. I'd have to, oh, it's just easier if I don't. Oh, I'd have to get to know people. I'd have to, but the flip side of that is we have people that will go to churches and they'll leave and go, well, nobody even knows I was gone. Are you in a relationship with anybody? Well, I work to build relationship. The two minutes before church and that one minute during church and then the 30 seconds after church when I'm rushing to my car, I talk to people. Does that sound like you're devoted to fellowship? Devoted to godly community? no. And we desperately need godly community in order to grow and become who God wants us to be. And just as a side note, IUP students, especially those of you that are new to Indiana, if you're freshman or a transfer in, get in godly community. Do not wait till you're a sophomore or junior or senior, God forbid. Do it right now. Avoid all the mess, avoid all the heartache, avoid all of the regrets that you will get by not being in godly community for a few years. Avoid that and just skip to the good stuff. How about that? Get in godly community. And then the third thing we see here was prayer. They were devoted to the word of God, to godly community, and to prayer. They were devoted to it. In fact, they had very specific times that they would go and pray. In fact, they saw every day they would meet for prayer. And some of you are nervous about this because you're thinking, I don't pray. I don't even know how to pray. How do I talk to God? It's really simple. Let me just simplify this for you. If you don't pray, there is no condemnation, but there is no communication between you and God. So what you have to begin to do is just take one minute, just say for 60 seconds, I'm gonna pray and talk to God. And your prayers might be pretty immature at first and that's okay. They might be full of give me's, give me this, bless me with that, help me with this, heal this. That's okay. But the, the more time you spend in prayer, the more you should mature where your prayers will develop, not just give me what I want, but God, help me do what you want. God, help me live a life that brings you pleasure instead of just praying for my pleasure. God, give me all the things I want to make me comfortable and happy. But it's gotta start somewhere, so start somewhere. Be disciplined enough to say, hey, I'm gonna pray for 30 seconds first thing in the morning when I wake up. The first thing I'm gonna do is pray to God. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for breath in my lungs. God, help me serve you today really well. In Jesus' name, amen. You got started. Devote yourself to prayer. Then it goes on to say in Acts chapter two, verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over all of them. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. Um, one of the problems with the church in America is we have lost our awe of God. So when Kim and Abby and Emma and I moved here from Oklahoma, I don't know if you've ever been to Oklahoma, it is very flat. And I'm not exaggerating. You get on I-40 in Oklahoma City and you drive west and you can see the next exit a mile down the road. And in some places you might be able to see two exits down the road. 
That's how far you can see this flat, flat. And so we came to Pennsylvania and we got here and we're like, oh my gosh, this place is so pretty. And people from Western Pennsylvania are like, wait, what? Like, it is gorgeous here. And they're like, here? T- here. And this, you're talking about this. This is pretty? Like, yeah, it's awesome. And people were mystified. Wow, okay. Okay, sure, it's pretty. Whatever. And here's the thing. People from Western PA grew up in Western PA. You've been around it so much, it's become common. You don't recognize how beautiful it is because it's normal to you. And what happens in the church is we get so accustomed to being around the presence of God, being in proximity to God, that we've forgotten how awesome he really is. And what happens here in Acts chapter two is they have this moment where their eyes are opened and they, they revision God and they go, oh my, God is awesome. Now we've seen God, but I'd forgotten how good God is. I'd forgotten how awesome he is. I'd forgotten how loving he is. And what we desperately need is for our vision to be refocused, where we can see God with the awe that we should have again for the first time, where we go, oh Lord, you are so good. I've forgotten. God, forgive me for taking you so lightly at times that I've forgotten how good you are. Awe was produced. Goes on to say, it says the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Signs and wonders were normal. Verse 44, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And they worshiped together at the temple each day. They went to church every day. Some of you are like, man, it's hard for me to make it to the 11 a.m. service like once a month, but these people were going every day to church. That's hardcore, right? Every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and, and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, all the people. This isn't just limited to the people in the church. They had goodwill with people outside of the church. I tell pastors all the time, if you wanna grow your influence in a community, start blessing people outside of your church. We had teacher appreciation in Wimber School District. Pastor Ricky is doing our Johnstown location. We don't even have a church there yet. We've got a pastor and we got some people that are together and we said, let's go do teacher appreciation. Let's go bless this school district. And so we went down into teacher appreciation at Wimber Elementary School and uh, we had all these teachers going, oh my gosh, this is so incredible. We can't believe you do this for us. Thank you so much. And teachers in Indiana, we've gotten used to it. We've been doing it for years. And in River Valley, and but these teachers were going, oh my gosh. And here's the thing. If they don't go to church as soon as our church opens, I bet they give us a shot. Because they don't even go to our church. And they're already going, these people are awesome. They love us. They're good to us. We're gaining favor with people outside of our church. Why? Because we're willing to serve and bless and help and do what God has called us to do as we live out home with Umadon. And then the last part of that says, and each day, everybody in Indiana and in Blairsville say each day. Each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. So let me tell you about the outcomes of home with Umadon. I told you how to live in homothumadon, but let me tell you about the outcomes of homothumadon. Number one, awe of God is produced. If we want a greater awe of God, we've got to live in unity together. When we live in unity together, it will help us see God differently than we've seen him before. It will produce awe in our lives of how good our God really is. There's going to be signs and wonders. Some of you, this makes you nervous, but I'm telling you, when there is unity in the spirit and the presence of God, signs and wonders are a natural outcome of that because we can believe for who God is because we see God differently than we've seen him before. We know that our God is a healing God. We know that our God is a God who will heal marriages and restore and reconcile relationships and bring children who have run from God back home. God will do these things when there's a spirit of unity, when homothumadon is at work among us. Radical generosity is one of our core values. And some of you right now are thinking, I thought this was a Holy Spirit message. It sounds like a tithe message. I just... Merge them together, two of your favorite things. It's like chocolate and peanut butter. I just put them together for you. (laughs) Tithing and the Holy Spirit. Generosity is a natural outcome of unity in the Spirit. They sold everything they had. See, remember what I said. In community, people will take care of each other. In a group, they take care of themselves. 
In godly community, I hear somebody has a need. So-and-so lost their job. They can't pay their rent. And I don't go, oh, Lord, I beseech thee today, send someone, provide for them supernaturally. Do you know what I do when I'm in godly community? I go, what can I do to solve that problem? Because if you have an issue, I have an issue when we're in godly community. <laughs> Some of you just got uncomfortable, didn't you? You're like, I'm not sure I wanna be in a small group if that's what's required of me. But when we're in unity, your need is my need. We take care of each other. We protect each other. We look out for each other. We don't mind being radically generous. I don't mind saying, oh, you've got a need? You know what? I've got this motorcycle that I haven't ridden in a while. I'll sell this and give you the proceeds of it. You know what? I've got this set of golf clubs. I've been playing golf too much anyway. I'm gonna sell the golf clubs. And I just wanna bless you. I wanna take care of that need. That's radical generosity. That's sacrificial love. It's a natural outcome of homothumadon. And then ultimately, it says each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. A natural outcome of unity in God's spirit through the Holy Spirit is that people are gonna be saved. This is why we exist as a church, is to see people saved. Acts chapter four, this is later. Acts chapter four, verse 32 says, all the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own. They understood this principle that everything we have is God's, that nothing I have is mine. And I don't know about you, it's a lot easier for me to give away somebody else's money than it is my money. Did you know that? I can be really generous with Pastor Ricky's money. I don't mind. Yeah, I'll give you more. When it's my money, it's harder. So these people understood this principle. Everything is God's. And when it's all God's, they don't mind being generous. Okay, God gave me this, he'll give me more. I'm gonna be generous. I'm gonna live how God asked me to live. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give, those, to, give to those in need. They took care of each other. They were in godly community. The Holy Spirit was at work in their lives. I gotta be careful about how I say this, but we're connected to a, a fellowship of churches called the Assemblies of God. And I am grateful. They're good partners. Uh, they gave us $100,000 for our new location in Johnstown. So I'm grateful for their relationship and partnership. One of the doctrinal stances of the Assemblies of God is you, you are not filled with the spirit of God unless you speak in an unknown language. That is the evidence that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And we could, we could dissect that and talk through that but, but here's what I see. What I see in the book of Acts is that as much or maybe more important than a manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit is that they were radically generous. That was evidence that they were filled with the Spirit, is that they were actively looking for ways to take care of each other. See, we can say all we want about I'm very spiritual, I come to church, I do all the things, but there is outcomes of our lives that are evidence that we are in relationship with the Holy Spirit. And if we're not generous, if we're not seeing people saved, if we don't have an awe of God, then I will tell you, those are all natural outcomes of being in relationship with the Holy Spirit, being filled with his spirit. Now these people weren't superheroes, they didn't get there overnight, it wasn't supernatural. I won't read you the story, but in Matthew chapter 20, in Matthew chapter 20, um, James and John, the mother of James and John, she comes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, I need your help with something. And Jesus said, ask what you want. And she said, when you come into your kingdom, make my sons, let them sit on either side of you. And what she's saying is, give them authority, give them power in your kingdom. And he said, I don't think you guys know what you're asking. He said, I don't know if they can drink the, the bitter cup that I'm gonna drink, because he's, he knows he's going to the cross. He knows what he's gonna suffer. And they go, oh no, we can, we will. And I can imagine Jesus being like, okay, simmer down now, all right? And like, come on. And he basically outlined, tells them, hey, this is not what you think it is. And here's what's gonna happen. And here's what's gonna happen to you. And, and he basically says, it's not up to me to decide, it's up to God to decide. And the other disciples hear about it. And they are, the scripture says they are indignant they are ticked off. 
How dare these guys? Who do they think they are? They shouldn't be sitting, I should be sitting next to Jesus. They're jockeying for position. The disciples of Jesus, the, the, the 12 people closest to him are jockeying for position, for authority and power. <laughs> and Jesus gives them this leadership lesson. And he said, hey, in this world, those who are powerful lord it over the people around them. But in, in my kingdom, if you wanna be great, you better serve. Greatness isn't coming, doesn't come with position. Greatness comes with your willingness to serve. And he says, I didn't even come into this world to serve, uh, to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So he gives them this paradigm shift and he's trying to help them see, you people, why aren't you serving each other? Why aren't you taking care of each other? And you know what he's after with them? Homothumadon. Hey, can we just have one purpose? and one singular goal, and one pursuit, and one affection that will unite us together? Can we not do that? So how did we get from there in Matthew chapter 20 to where we are in Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four, where they're going, hey, let, let me sell my stuff to take care of that need. How did we get there? Baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, they had to be unified to some degree to, to promote the gift of the Holy Spirit, but then the Holy Spirit takes over. The Holy Spirit takes over and goes, now let me help you be more unified. Let me sanctify you so that you can live a more unified life. So if you wanna see unity in your home, in your marriage, in our church, the best thing for you to do is to say, okay, God, I want everything you've got for me. God, I'm willing to lay myself down. God, I'm willing to lay down some of my preferences and some of my comforts, some of my pleasure. I'm willing to lay that down so that your kingdom can advance and just wait and see what God will do. This starts with us being in proper relationship with Jesus Christ, surrendering our lives to him because we're not, we don't have access to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit without Jesus Christ, so it starts there. So that's where I wanna to start today too. Right now, I'm gonna turn it over to our hosts in Blairsville. They're gonna close out our time. They're gonna give you a chance to respond, but I love you guys very, very, very much. And I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So today, this is really simple. It's really simple. We've talked about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does over the last few weeks. Some of the practical outcomes and some of the practical results of being in relationship with the Holy Spirit and being filled with his spirit. And so I would love for each of and every one of you to, to embrace this, to say, God, I've got, I, wanna, I want whatever you want for me. But the reality is I know some of you aren't ready, some of you don't want it, that's cool, that's okay. There's no pressure. So in just a minute, some of our prayer team's gonna be here and we'd love to pray for you, no matter what your need is. If you need physical healing, our God is in the business of doing miracles. I believe today is a day we could see a miracle happen in your life. Maybe you need a miracle in your marriage or in your finances, I don't know. But I know our God, his natural is supernatural. That's normal life for him. That's no thing for God, he can do it. So if you have any need at all, we wanna pray for you. But specifically, those of you who say, okay, I want more of God. I wanna experience everything he's got for me. I need unity in my home. I, wanna, I want the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be a bold witness in my workplace, in my world. We'd love to pray for you. But it begins with Christ. So if you would bow your head and close your eyes all of this place. God, we welcome you to speak and move and do what you wanna do right now. I pray that you would draw people to you in this moment. I pray that those that are here that have never surrendered their lives to you, or maybe they've had a religious experience or moment, maybe they've had an emotional experience, but nothing changed. Nothing was changed in them. They weren't transformed. I pray today would be the day that they are fully submitted to you, that they surrender to you, say yes to you, and that their lives are different because of that. So God, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your power. We invite you to move in our lives right now. Now, with nobody looking around, your head bowed, your eyes closed, if you'd say to me, I know I'm not really serving God. I know I'm not in relationship with God, but I wanna be. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus and his lordship today. I'd love to pray for you. And if you wanna be included in that prayer, would you just be bold enough to put your hand up real high where I can see it? If you'd say, Mel, pray for me. I wanna receive Christ today. I wanna surrender my life. Yeah, thank you. See two, three, four hands on my left. Who else would say, that's me, Mel, pray for me. Yeah, thank you. I see two, three hands, four hands on my right. Praise God. 
Awesome. Who else would join these? Say, Mel, pray for me, include me in that prayer today. Awesome. Thank you, I see you in the back on my right. Thank you. Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so we're gonna pray a prayer together. I'm gonna give you the words to say, but this is not my prayer. This is your prayer from your heart to God. And so we're gonna say this out loud. We're gonna confess it with our mouths and we're gonna say it corporately together, everybody in this place. So say this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your one and only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life is surrendered to you. Use me for your glory and help me never go back to my old life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that scripture says you're a new creation, that the old has gone and the new has come. So you are transformed, you are totally different today. It doesn't mean all your problems go away. It doesn't mean you won't have any issues. What it means is Christ will walk with you through your problems and issues. You've got a partner now. So here's what I would love for you to do. I would love for you to take a, another step for us. You took one, that's great. Would you take another step for us? We would love for you to take just a moment and let us know about your decision. There's two ways you can do that. You can fill out the, guest, uh, the, the card in front of you that says salvation, it's in the seat back. And then you can take it to our next step table when we finish in a moment. You can do that, or if you're watching online or you'd prefer, you can simply text Summit PA, the number 94,000. Let us know about your decision that way by selecting the prompt that says salvation. And if you do that, complete that online. When we finish in just a moment, stop by the, the next step table out in the lobby. We've got some resources we'd love to give you and we just wanna help you take the next step. So help us help you in this process. Here's what's gonna happen right now. Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us in a final song. We're gonna sing this song together. We're gonna worship God together. And while we are, our prayer team's here and we're available. We'd love to pray for you no matter what your need may be today. But I wanna encourage you, if you've been over the last few weeks praying about who the Holy Spirit is and what he's doing and you're not sure, I would encourage you to take a step of faith, step out and let one of our team pray for you today and believe with you and just see what God will do in your life when you say yes to everything he's got for you. So stand to your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship together one more time before we go today, guys. I tell you often, I hope you know how much I mean it. I love you so much and I am so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have an awesome day. We'll see you next weekend. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.